0: So someone very smart sent me an article just today that talks about the role of humor when we have to deal with stressful situations or anxiety-creating moments.
1: (laughs) It's not that smart because it took me a minute to be like, oh, cool, who
0: sent you that kind of article? And then I'm like, oh, that was me. Thank you for calling me really smart. It's been a long summer, friends. (laughs) We're just getting back into it. So Anyway, on that front, now that we had our own little laugh there, have any of you, and I think in this moment, we're specifically talking to white people, ever felt weighed down by how heavy anti-racism work can be, especially when that has not been something that you may have grown up thinking about, right? Or even in your adult life thought about. And you maybe noticed that sometimes we are pretty serious on this show. So... I invite
1: you listeners, what do you think about listening to 15 minutes of one of the funniest activist comedians out there today, hearing how he, a funny guy, might explain what might be great for white women to do in this work, how to process how tired we all are, and what crocheting has to do with it. Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast, the show that helps white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism without centering themselves in the process. We're your biracial Japanese and white hosts, Sarah and Misashi. So I'm very excited to be here to have this conversation. You mentioned in the book about how you used to hate history. And I'm just sitting here raising my hand because that used to be me before me, Sasha and I started the podcast. And she's, you know, the lawyer and the amateur historian and got me really interested in it and opening my eyes. So I was curious about that and the fact that your show, United Shades of America, explores like communities across America to understand the challenges that they face. So in your own words, I would love to understand, you know, what is so important about understanding the history of this country and the narratives that we are and also aren't taught in school in order to understand the people of our country today?
2: I can't remember which Marley it was. It was either Bob Marley or Ziggy Marley. I think it was Ziggy Marley who had the lyric, if you don't know your past, you don't know your future. And so for me, that's just a very basic thing that like history repeats itself. So if you study history, maybe you can break the cycles of repetition. And I think the thing that I've learned the United Shades, because that show is filled with history, but it is done intentionally as a way to be entertaining and bite-sized pieces and quotable so, you can, so people can take that with them. And I think a lot of times, history, they just throw you a thick book and say, read the whole thing, and it doesn't seem relevant to your life, and it also isn't done in a way that is entertaining or accessible, because even more than entertainment is accessibility. So for me you know if you're going to talk about the i didn't know until i did united states of america that like 75% of this enslaved africans in the during the transatlantic slave trade came through charleston south carolina i had no idea that that was the case so therefore when i'm in charleston i'm basically going home whether i know it or not and so i was just in charleston a couple weeks ago and i said that to the crowd i was like apparently i'm back home cuz then i had my dna tested and i'm like a lot of those black people i came my people came through there so it's a way to connect you to understand that history is a moving line it's not a series of dots and dashes it is a constantly and it's moving in all directions and the more we're aware that the more we can break the cycles
1: i appreciate that a lot changing gears though what's it like working with a white woman right you wrote this book with kate chad
2: (laughs) what's it like working with a white woman Is just a great question (laughs)
0: Of <laughs> course, we had
1: to ask that one, <laughs> right? Or, you know, the white world of entertainment. You know, insert the context here living in America.
2: I mean, I just be clear, Kate Schatz is not your average white lady. So she is a person who has done who is knee deep in air. No wait No. Well, I don't how very deep in anti-racism work. She's a best selling author for the books Rad American Women A to Z, which highlights black women and women of color and indigenous women and Asian women. So she's already doing this work. She's been a school teacher, so she knows how to educate. And she lives in the East Bay of California, so she is not your average white lady. I'm also married to a white lady, so I got a lot of white ladies around me. Different between working in a white show business is that they aren't Kate or my wife, Melissa. So I find myself, and this happens to people of color and black folks and indigenous folks all the time, you find yourself giving in a diversity training seminar that the people around you didn't sign up for because you're trying to just be able to live your life and do your job better. So when somebody says to me, which has been said to me, like, well, racism, really, isn't that really just when like the clan shows up and that person is in a position of authority and power? And you have to be like, huh, hmm, how do I have this w- racism training seminar with you without you knowing it? So you don't think I'm being uppity or you don't feel threatened by the knowledge or you, that you accept the knowledge, but you don't feel like I'm trying to call you out. And sometimes you do have to call people out. But I think that that's the industry I find myself in. And then the thing that I've tried to do and I have been successful in doing so far and will hopefully be more successful is bringing more people, more black people into the industry. So I don't have it. So I'm not surrounded by as many people who are clueless on these issues.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, we've spoken to people who work in the entertainment industry and who are black women and who are doing that, like not just moving the faces, but all the way through the entertainment industry to be more authentic with that change. So that makes a lot of sense to me.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I've been inspired by the work of like Shonda Rhimes, who has done a lot to bring in more diversity in her crew. Ava DuVernay has done a lot of work. So it's like I'm also looking around me at people who are doing it knowing that it can be done.
0: I love that. And you know, I was thinking about what I loved about Do the Work. And one of the things that really stood out to me is the fact that there was a lot of dialogue between you and Kate in the text. Um, and it was very intentional. And that resonated with me. But I'd love to hear from you. Why was that important to include that dialogue in each section?
2: Kate, that's funny. Kate just said this last night because we had this question. I was like, oh, that's a good point. It's important that you don't think the book has been that we can't write in one voice. I'm a black, I'm a heterosexual black man. She is a queer white lady. So therefore you can't just sort of combine that into one voice and act like this is who we're talking to. It helps for the reader to know who's saying what and whose perspective is what. And sometimes our perspectives are aligned and sometimes they're nuanced and different. doesn't mean we're disagreeing. It means that what we're paying attention to is different and how how the information is resonating is different. And Kate said it was important for her as a white person to, through our conversation, model listening, model how to, even in text, to go, say more on that Kamal which is which is different than going i don't believe you or that sounds crazy or i can't imagine that or maybe you misunderstood and so the idea that she's also showing for white people who are doing who want to do this work this is how you do it you actually let the people talk and you actually believe them when they tell you their truth so and it also is a way for us to be we're both funny people and it's a way to sort of really lead people through this in a way that knows that you, we have your back and we understand what you might be going through as you do the work in this book
0: i appreciate that cuz it was relatable and- it was you know it was something that as i mentioned resonated with me because i yeah that was really important for me to take away from the book and speaking of takeaways you know i'm curious what's your living vision for do the work you know so let's say a person buys the book what do they do after they read it and what do they do the next day and how do you envision this going into their lives and being part of their lives
2: I always think about musicians, like political musicians, where that could be Bob Dylan, it could be Public Enemy, it could be Rage Against the Machine, could be, you know, could be Tegan and Sarah, could be lots of people. The idea being that like, when they write the song, they actually want the song to change the world. But once the song is done, you can't fool yourself into thinking that the song changed the world. But it doesn't. So for me, it's the same thing with this book. We wrote this book wanting to dismantle racism and white supremacy, and we really want the book to do that. But now that the book is done, I at least want people who read the book and do the work to understand that the thing we're saying is that it is an ongoing process. It is not something you can do by changing your avatar to a black square on Instagram. It is not something you can do by buying Juneteenth ice cream from Walmart. It is not something you can do by asking a black person to explain Juneteenth to you. And that's your idea of doing the work. It is not something you only do in February. It is not something you only do in Asian American Heritage Month or Native American History Month. It is something that happens that you have to be engaged in regularly. The same way that I say that, like, we all know the difference between I'm working out regularly, or I went to the gym, had a smoothie and got in the hot tub. And you know the difference between those two different activities. You know when you're actually fooling yourself and when you actually, and I think we have to really look at dismantling racism and any white supremacy, It's you have to be engaged in it regularly if you want it to actually happen.
1: Absolutely. I feel like we just got our social media quote right there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you were just, waiting, you are fishing for me to say something quotable. I appreciate that. <laughs> if you had told me, I would have said, I would have been quotable the whole time. Sorry about that.
1: No, this is all of this is fantastic. You know, if so, our podcast is called Dear White Women, and we talked about the white women in your life. But if you could tell white women on the whole, not those that are necessarily in your circle, but who are out there to do something different, what would it be?
2: Leverage your privilege. So it's not enough to just learn the knowledge actually and we have a thing in the book called check your privilege look at the privilege you have in your life and then see how you can use that privilege to create less racism in your community so it could be a level of finance we think of it as financial often so but even how you do how you use your financial privilege like It's one thing to give to a national organization it's nothing to give to a mutual aid organization in your community. That money is going to affect your community, they may be able to do more with that money may be more impactful that $25 you give to the national organization is probably going to go farther if you put that $25 into an anti racist organization in your community also engage and figure out what you do well and how can you do that as anti-racism so for example if you're crocheting then crochet in an anti-racist way who are you inviting to your crochet circle who are you teaching to crochet what are you doing with the profits from your etsy shop when you're selling your crocheted things there's all these different ways that you can leverage the things you are already doing in your life and we have an activity called know your lane because people say stay in your lane as a way to tell you to get out of business that might not that they don't think you should be involved in well look around your lane and see what can i do deal with what's already around me as a way to create anti-racism and to create an anti-racist society so i think that's what i would say to the white women listening like by virtue of the fact you're listening that means you're interested but then also and white women are good at this be organized about what you're doing So just the same way you're organized about all the other things in your life that are important to you, whether it's the kids' lunches Monday through Friday, whether it's your job to make sure you have enough time to do your work at work and then come home, whether it's whatever your hobby is, your book club, how can you be that organized about dismantling racism and ending white supremacy?
1: I was laughing because I was picturing like the macros that they count sometimes or like the gym stuff and all
0: that. (laughs) (laughs) Do it like you do summer camps. (laughs) The summer camp spreadsheets, yes. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, or the, or like the spreadsheets. You have a some people are into Google Docs. Yeah. If you have a Google Doc for your do it like you do summer camps. Yeah. So do anti-racism. If we had that same energy for anti-racism that we had for our kids' summer camps, we would be there by the end of the summer, maybe.
1: Now, this is a question that I'm kind of hesitating to ask. Because when I talk when when any of us talk about anti-racism, right? It can be sort of out there for people who don't have people of color in their life. But I'm talking to you and you are a black man. So this is more of a personal question. Like right now women, the society is tired. Right. And so we're hearing stuff like, well, aren't we done with this yet? Or like, well, now we have Roe v. Wade. You know, Misasha and I tend to believe all of these things are interconnected, these forces at play. But how, what do you say to those who are like, but there's so much going on? How can anti-racism still be one of those things that I have to do?
2: Are you more tired than Harriet Tubman? (laughs) Are you more tired than all those people who did the march on Washington? Are you more tired than, you know, Malcolm X towards the end of his life? I mean, I mean, to me, it's like it's so clear that like it is a privilege that you be able to say you're tired because you're still alive. So I mean, the idea being that like, you know, I understand that you get that, you know, that you can get worn down by this, but then it's like you have self-care as a part of this, but I think don't over index the self-care more than you do on the anti-racism. So I think the idea being that like, yes, every issue that affects this country in a negative way is connected to racism and white supremacy. So there is no issue whether it's people need more access to health care. You know who really needs more access to health care? Black, brown indigenous communities. People need better safer cops need people need, police that are better trained and better to their communities. You know who really needs that? People who are pregnant need better access to reproductive health services and abortion. You know who really needs that? We need better schools that are doing a better job of educating our kids. Do you know who really needs that? It's black, brown, indigenous communities really need those things. So the idea being that, like, whatever issue you're looking at, whatever, however you want to help, we need smoother roads. You know if the roads are really screwed up? Black, brown, and indigenous communities. I mean, there is no issue of oppression you can look at it in this country, where it doesn't end up connecting back to, if it's screwing white people over, it's really screwing over black, brown, indigenous, and Asian, and and, and other communities, Latinx. I'm trying to mention that. That's the other thing I'm trying to, the other thing about doing this work is you have to make sure you're as inclusive as possible. And sometimes it's like, it seems ridiculous. And yet I'm actually like, this is part of the work is being better able to speak this stuff into existence and make sure that nobody who's listening to this black man talk right now thinks I only care about black, the oppression of black. <laughs>
1: appreciate that a lot. So last question, what is it we haven't asked about this book that you want to make sure you get out there?
2: It's funny. <laughs> like, it's actually like, I think the other thing is like, we made this book intentionally to be funny. It doesn't mean that like the way I'd say about my stand up act for years is I'm telling jokes, but I'm not kidding. You know what I mean? So this book, there are jokes in here. So the thing we told our publishers, we want this book to be funny, but not fucking around. So the idea bit day they, and they're like, that's great. We're never gonna put it on the book. Anyway, so the idea being that like even in like the check your privilege section, which my 11 year old daughter did last night, she completed even though it's not for kids and we talked about the part that is not for kids, but she completed it. There's jokes in there and one of the things in the, but it's they're serious. So in the middle of the look at your privilege, you, you know, do you have access to health care? Are you do you have a good relationship with the police? are you more fair skin than dark skin all these different things and my daughter was like i'm dark skin and i said well let's compare our skin she's mixed race black her skin's lighter i'm like actually you're more light skin than you are dark skin and she's like she had never thought of it that way so the idea being but one of those is like are you george clooney (laughs) like that one (laughs) now that seems like a joke but it's actually true if you're george clooney you have one of the highest levels of privilege in the history of the world just by nature of the fact that you are george clooney so i think the idea being that like We are kidding. It is funny, but we're not fucking around. Love it.
0: Thank you so much for sharing this time with us. Thank you. We really appreciate it.
2: Thank you.
1: You've just listened to the Dear White Women podcast with your hosts, Sarah and Misasha. Yes, we're on social media. And yes, you can hire us to do talks about our book. But the biggest thing, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter to receive our free materials. Head over to DearWhiteWomen.com
2: to get on the list.